They say every watch tells a story. Family. Moments. Lifetimes. With La Touraine, this is a watch that spans generations, not just from where it came from, but for where it will go. Knowing one of these, having one of these, is what? Being a professional, being casual, and being you is all about. From our family to yours, La Touraine. Welcome to another episode of the Air Raid Attack Podcast. Of course, I'm your host, Michael. As always, you can listen to us on any major podcast platform, Amazon Music to iTunes, to give you a few. But nonetheless, uh, I got an exciting guest on. Uh, of course, being a Yankee fan, it's always good to, to try to talk uh, some stuff that you know that uh, you know a little bit about. But nonetheless, I got Rachel. I'm going to. I'm sorry, pronounce uh, to pronounce your mispronounce your last name, Balkovec. I'm maybe close, far away. You got it. You nice. got it. Um, on the show, Rachel. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule and uh, spending a few a few minutes, if you will, uh, on the podcast. Thank you. Excited to be here. Well, first things first. Of course, you know, <clears throat> not a lot of people may or may not know a lot of listeners out there that uh, when I tweeted it out, uh, we're pretty excited. Um, being the first woman as the full-time uh, hitting coach, if you will, for any professional team, but especially in baseball, where did you begin um, this crazy ride and this fun ride for you as you uh, continued to progress in with the New York Yankee organization and beyond even? Well, first, I want to celebrate some other women and also just make, it, make sure that uh, it's correct. But also, I, I was... One of the, fir the first full-time hitting coaches, um, along with Rachel Folden from the Cubs. Mm -hmm. So just for the listeners who don't know, there actually are a few other women out there now coaching. And Rachel and I were hired. I mean, we don't even know who was hired first, actually. So we were hired the same week, the same month, which is really cool to think that two separate organizations at the same time hired a woman, didn't even know, you know. So um, we, I kind of share that title with Rachel, and she's awesome. I've had a chance to talk to her a lot. So there's that. And uh, where did I begin? So I, um, I began in Omaha, Nebraska. That's where I was born. And very, very long story short, I'll try to make this a quick one. But as you probably know, Mike, uh, my story is nothing but short or nothing but nothing but long, um, anything but short. So I basically grew up in Omaha and was an avid softball player. I played competitively when I was growing up and then played in college at the Division One level. Uh, started at Creighton University, transferred to New Mexico, University of New Mexico in Albuquerque, and then Again, very long story short, ended up doing my graduate assistant strength and conditioning uh, ship at LSU. So I did, uh, I was a strength coach there and I also got my master's degree in sports administration. Um, and I was over six different sports, including baseball and softball who were both in the College World Series at the time. So it was an absolutely electric environment and just a really solid foundation for me to start out learning how to coach and learning how to set a high standard um, in that environment for two years. And then ended up getting an internship with the St. Louis Cardinals as a strength and conditioning coach. That was 2012. Uh, and then from there on, and I'll just make this quick from there on, I spent seven years as a strength coach um, for different organizations. So three with the Cardinals, three with the Astros, spent one year out of baseball. And then somewhere along the line, I started to understand that I wanted to be kind of a, a bigger part of the organization as far as setting the culture and moving towards eventually wanting to be a general manager in my career, but actually hitting is the, is, was the next step and, and the first stop. So I had a great mentor in Dylan Lawson, who is now the, um, the minor league coordinator for the Yankees. And so he was a hitting coach with the Astros and I was a strength coach with the Astros. That's where we originally met. He mentored me. He, we like to joke, he put me together like Frankenstein. So he, Really, I, I, you know, I wasn't, the hit, concept of hitting wasn't foreign to me. I played collegiate softball at the division one level. Like right. I've spent 
swung a bat before, you know, Um, but I just hadn't exercised those muscles. And then with all the new technology that had emerged in the game, understanding blast metrics, understanding how we use hit tracks as a a practice tool, um, all those things, really understanding the ins and outs and X's and O's of, of hitting really in the new era, if you will. So he mentored me a ton in that area. And then also he encouraged me to go back to school and get a second master's degree. I actually ended up doing that in Europe. So I moved to Amsterdam, got a second master's degree and completed that degree in Seattle, doing my research at driveline for uh, eye tracking for hitters. He was also a big part of that and kind of like setting me down that path. And then he actually hired me as a hitting coach with the Yankees. So that was about as short as I could make it, but that's how I've ended up being a minor league hitting coach for the Yankees. And I'll be entering my third season in 2022 with them. Well, first off, congrats, um, especially along this journey, because I know regardless if you play or if you manage or even the front office staff, I mean, I think everybody's dream is to be a part of the Yankee organization to some form or fashion. And I'm sure it's probably maybe wasn't what you thought of, but, uh, you know, I think obviously the Yankees is what I believe in. Be a little biased, but you know, uh, put that to the side. I think the Yankees is the most recognizable organization in the, in the world. So, I mean, of course, being a part of that is great. And I guess, how could you, uh, coming from a collegiate softball standpoint, from playing to now in the major league baseball hitting, was there a difference? I mean, obviously hitting hitting, but was there a different way that you had to present how to hit compared to softball? with the fast pitch compared to what baseball brings to the table? Honestly, there's so much crossovers. So it's, it's pretty, there's just so much overlap. You know, the difference, one of the differences actually from a catcher's perspective. So I was a catcher in college from a catching perspective. It's that's how I really can understand the difference. Cause I've caught some baseball bullpens now and man, the movement on the pitch is very different. I wouldn't say one is necessarily harder than the other. It's just a different, it's a different, uh, loop right like it's just a bigger movement because of the way that the pitch is thrown every single pitch in softball is thrown from the basically the same location uh, at the hip and it's coming more straight Mm -hmm. there's definitely some pretty significant movement but obviously obviously it's closer like there's little nuances that are different from the approach standpoint it's almost the same from the mentality standpoint it's almost saying the swing is almost the same so there's so much overlap that it's it's pretty smooth actually it doesn't feel unnatural to me um to to be teaching those things. And also I hate to say, I mean, all of us listening to this podcast, if you've been a part of the game or if you've coached the game literally at any level, you understand that what you did 10 years ago is almost irrelevant now. So, and especially, especially since I, uh, my college career ended at 09 and I mean, tech wasn't a thing. We didn't even really take much video, you know? So to think that now we've got slow motion video on your cameras and we have so much uh, factual objective information to use, what I was doing then probably has very little application to what I do now. Uh, and I'm okay with that. You know, like that's, that's evolving and it's changing and it's understanding the new information, not new information, but rather um, our ability to collect factual information now is so much different. So uh, as far as like my own philosophies I had when I was in college or what I was taught in college, that's almost irrelevant <laughs> on, every, on every level, catching, hitting, uh, and that's pretty much the same whether you play baseball or softball, to be honest with you, um, given the new technology that we have available these days. And, boy, you know, I kid you not, I think technology, I haven't played baseball in, oh, man, it's been a minute now. But, you know, I think with technology in itself is just it's so fast paced. And, and, and in the organization that you're in, of course, the field and how you present it. Uh, when there's new technology that comes out, do you guys utilize that immediately or do you kind of look at it and see how it may help you guys out in the long run? Who decides, hey, what's best technology, of course, with everything that's coming out um, in regards to that? Um, I mean, I think there's like an adoption cycle. I mean, yeah. literally for anything, if you think about it, there's an adoption cycle of new technology where there's like a pilot phase. Uh, when I was with the Houston Astros, that was a huge thing that we did is like we would, might pilot something at one affiliate, you know, and then if it works and we like it and the information is, first of all, um, accurate, you know, the technology works to collect the information. It's user friendly because we can't be out there fussing around with technology while the practice is going on and we're trying to get the players to buy in. And so is it user friendly? The technology is it accurate. And then can we use is it useful? Does it actually change what we do? day-to-day in practice, day-to-day on, in the game. Um, so there's that like adoption stage where usually what happens is we adopt it at a small level, you know, at a, 
at a small level within the organization, whether that's one affiliate or a couple affiliates. And then if it works, we'll spread it throughout the rest of the organization. And I would say that's pretty like consistent with what happens in every business, right? You try it out, you do a pilot phase, and then and then if it works and you like it, then it becomes a part of your philosophy and a part of your every your day to day. And that's what we do, you know, with the Yankees as well. And I feel like I'm fortunate to be a part of an organization that's pretty progressive in that way. So it's exciting to be able to, you know, be creative and learn learn new technologies and evolve our philosophy as we go. I love that. I think it's it speaks high volumes, um, high volumes just to success. And when it comes to hitting, uh, you know, hitting coach, is there a, like say for example, spring training? surprisingly is just around the corner seems like when you get assigned are you assigned to a specific let's say triple a or wilkes-barre scranton or maybe it's trenton or double a down the a and you know rookie ball is there a certain level that you they prefer you at or hey rachel we're going to have you do x y and z um we're going to do trenton this week wilkes-barre next kind of help you out or how's that uh, how's that assigned for you um, most coaches, if you're not like an intern, most coaches are assigned to just one affiliate all year. So there's consistency. Um, and that's how my whole career has been. Basically, I've, I've been assigned to one affiliate per season. Um, I, I shouldn't say that actually. So I've been a, you know, the coordinator role. So I've been a strength and conditioning coordinator in the past where I was overseeing all of the organization. I was a Latin American coordinator in the past where you're overseeing, you know, our, our uh, Latin American affiliates, which most people don't know, but we have two full teams that are operating in the Dominican Republic. Um, and then also the lower levels. So I've, I've been in different roles, but I've been at the double A level. I've been at the rookie league level and kind of everywhere in between this last year, I was at the rookie league level with some of our young guys who are just coming over from the Dominican Republic. Um, and I'm not sure where I'll be next year. So it's kind of, it's always a, a toss up, but I love working at the lower levels. I think it's one of the most challenging, most rewarding places to be. We're working with a lot of um, 18 to 20 year olds that are coming from Latin America is 90% of the group there and it is absolutely challenging and it's to see those kids develop at that young age is really rewarding and then obviously to see them move on and be in the big leagues is just incredible to know you know where they come from so I love working at the at the lower levels um, but there's also different challenges at the upper levels so being a double A or a higher affiliate um, at the major league level there's there's all kinds of new challenges there so I don't know if I even have a preference. It's just every level has its own little flavor and challenges. And I've, it's been fun to do it all, you know, to get a really big scope of the entire organization of professional baseball, because the big league team is really just the tip of the iceberg. You know, if you know what's going on underneath. That's true. And, and, you know, a lot of people don't realize how many levels, not so much triple, Mm -hmm. double and, and a, but you say got your rookie balls and your fall leagues and your, you know, strictly spring leagues and, like you said, there's two teams down in the Dominican uh, Republic area that's practically full round 24-7, if you will. So <clears throat> when it comes, um, and I know a buddy of mine kind of asked, let me ask him, we've kind of rewarded the way he would have uh, said it. But when it comes to challenges, of course, has it been pretty good perception, good, uh, you know, a good feedback, if you will, from the players? Hey, even though she's a woman, um, she's phenomenal. She knows what she's talking about. Or have you kind of, of course, like every, you know, like every job, have you kind of had your hiccups? Has the perception been pretty well towards you? It's been really good, honestly. Um, I Every time I join an organization, so this is the third organization I've been a part of. And, you know, there's some curiosity surrounding it. It's like the first, to be honest with you, very short. The first couple of weeks, like, okay, what is this about? Why is she here? Is this some diversity hire? Does she know what she's talking about? And men don't get those questions, you know. Um, but I don't, I don't mind it. You know, I think early in my career, I had a chip on my shoulder and I was like, I'm just like everybody else. You know, I just want to be treated. And the truth of the matter, I'm, is I'm not like everybody else, you know, so I don't mind it. It's a, it's a challenge and it's an opportunity, you know, and, and, uh, Billie Jean King, she says pressure is a privilege. Mm. So I know that extra eyes are on me and I know people are judging me harder and it just makes me better, you know, and realistically it's an opportunity to get to change people's minds. And I love to surprise people, you know, so there's every time I join an organization, there's a little bit of curiosity, but to be honest with you, it's like, if you talk to me for five seconds and I, the first time I maybe present the whiteboard, when they come in the cages and they, they see how I talk, they, they see that I'm looking them in the eye and I, I speak confidently and I know what I'm talking about. And then by the way, I'll repeat what I say in Spanish. And they're like, Whoa, okay. Didn't expect this. Like was, you know, cause so I think, 
I think it's um, it, there's a natural curiosity when I first joined the organization, but after a few weeks, they're like, oh, this isn't a big deal. You know, it's, it's not a big deal. And especially if, as they spend more time with me, they just realize I'm just like anyone else. And um, like I said, it's a great opportunity, especially for, again, for these really young Latin players who uh, women in sports is really not a thing there, you know, definitely even athletes, there's just women don't play a lot of sports down there. And for them to see me, it's like seeing the Easter bunny, you know, it's like, what, what is this? Like what's happening here? So I, I think it's a privilege to be able to get them to open up their minds to, okay, there's a woman who can be respected and an authority figure in a coaching role. And it's amazing to see how they actually take to me after a really short amount of time. So I've had my fair share of bumps over the road, over the time, you know, I've been in baseball for 10 years. So I don't know who hasn't uh, experienced a few bumps along the road, man or woman, you know, but I'm a woman. So it manifests in a different way than it does a man, you know? So if, if there's this kid who's disrespectful or whatever, and they might say something to me. And again, I, I just see, I really try to see those opportunities as, as just a chance for me to change someone's mind and for me to, to, uh, get gain their respect. And then hopefully in the future, if they see another woman in a role like mine, they'll go, okay, like, you know, well, Rachel, I respected Rachel and I respected what she did. So they're at least open to the idea that a woman could be in a role like this and be respected. And that's a great honor, you know, honestly, to have that opportunity. Absolutely. And, and, you know, kind of keeping it within what's the, what's the mindset of these young kids that's coming in um, obviously from the Dominican Republic and uh, just learning uh, what it, what's exactly kind of, I don't want to say teaching them, but kind of like portraying, like, here's what we have, we want you to do it kind of like welcome to America type thing, or what's the, uh, <laughs> what's the, I don't know if a bad way to say it, but. Um, no, 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 I, I think I can, I think I'm picking up what you're laying down. So I, uh, I just recently had this conversation. I probably have, I've probably had this conversation maybe 1000 times over the 10 years that I've been in the game. Um, but it's a really, it's an interesting dynamic. You know, they're coming from a place, not only where, you know, it's just a different country and the people usually think the language barrier, you know, is the toughest thing, but it's, the language barrier is very tough, you know, but really it's like, they're coming from the Dominican Republic and it's an Island, you know, and, and people have probably heard of the Island time, right. You know, everyone's slower, people can show up late and they come from a place where there's very little structure to be honest with you. And I'm not just talking about in baseball, I'm talking about the country, right. It's, you know, the clocks don't necessarily line up and people are late to things and it's people, you know, the traffic, even the traffic laws are very relaxed and like you just go to the country and it's an island. And then you think about the culture of sports in America and the, the warrior mentality and you grow up playing football and you're on a team from the time that you're five and you're competing for a championship when you're five. And these kids have never played on a team in their life. You know, they've grown up just going to the field unorganized and putting together a ball game. And then they go, when they get old enough, they go to showcases. They're not really competing on teams to beat their crosstown rival. You know, that's not a thing that happens. So I think that one of the biggest things that we can do for them is immediately when they come in, providing them structure and getting them to work as a team, a true team, not just a showcase team where you show up and you're playing for yourself, but a true team where, you know, you're competing together to beat somebody that you hate, you know, that you want to, that you want to beat up on and really pulling together to do that. That's really like one of the things that is, is very different about that culture surrounding sports and the culture of American professional sports is high structure, kind of a military feel where it's push, 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 go, go, go. And, um, you know, being mentally tough and all those things. So really getting them to adapt to that is, is really, I think the most important thing. And then obviously the language barrier is very tough and these kids are not always, um, they don't always have the, well, they rarely have the structure of the education system that we have as well. So coming from a background that's not, you know, I went to a college prep school and I have three college degrees that can be more opposite of the educational background that they're coming from. And it's not about intelligence. These kids are super intelligent but they don't have the structure, again, going back to that word, they don't have the structure to allow them to be successful. So it's really, uh, like you said, coming to America, I think one of the biggest adjustments is that structure, the uh, militant style of American sport that they're not used to. And it's quite a shock for them when they when they first come on. Well, I'm sure absolutely. And, you know, regardless if you're in Tampa Bay or wherever they're, that they get sent to to start off, it's I'm sure it's just like uh, awning, like, what in the world is going on but uh 
Yep. <clears throat> of course, you know, kind of you look at the overall season, the season's long, I'm sure, especially for you. Any downtime that you do have throughout the season, um, is there anything in particular you try to rest on? Is there anything that you'd like to do for fun when when you got some downtime? I understand baseball's it's 162 games, of course, postseason on top of all the spring game or spring training that takes place. I mean, I'm sure there's not much downplay, but or downtime, but Anything uh, that you do for fun or what do you do um, on your downtime? In season, to be honest with you, I, I don't do much of anything. I mean, <laughs> the, I, I try to like, I'm very black and white. Like I have kind of a saying, it's just that I stole from someone a long time ago. It's like, stay out of the gray area. So when I'm in season, it's like head down, you know, I spend all day long, you know, morning to night at the field and just immerse myself. And if I have an off day, it's usually just like literally uh, do laundry, um, you know, get groceries, like recover, rest, like get good sleep, maybe get a workout in type of thing. And like, I just in season, my head is fully down. And then in the off season, my head is fully up, right? I'm like, I take a lot of time. I'm with family. I'm with friends. I'm doing continuing education. I just went to Vanderbilt University and was visiting their baseball program. Um, as many baseball fans probably know, they're one of their living dynasty, they're living and breathing dynasty. So it was great to visit them. So just, uh, you know, reading, sleeping, which I don't do enough of in season um, and just taking that time to recover because the season is so long and so demanding. Um, so really just making sure that I'm fully energized to go the next year around. So it's kind of, I, it's black and white for me. It's a, it's a season. And then I take a sabbatical and, Obviously, I'm still communicating with players and stuff, but they're at home. So it allows the coaches to have a little breather um, and be working from home and learning from home. But but also to just, like I said, rest and recover when you have the chance. Well, and I don't blame you. I'm sure you definitely don't get enough time uh, to sleep, like you said. And I'm sure the seasons with girls, if it's February or, or November, early November or even October, for that matter, I'm sure. Now, I'm sure truth to the side is, are you guys kind of towards the end of the year? Are you guys? kind of excited because we're almost at the end or you just want to continue to grow more come sure there's at the uh you know as they always say the light at the end of the tunnel i'm sure at some standpoint yeah you guys are kind of counting down once once the season finally ends yeah yeah there's a countdown there's a countdown no matter what you know and, and we and it, it's like we love what we do but at the same time you know this is to be honest it's like i just want to be transparent and it's, it's tough on, it's tough on your families. And I don't even have, you know, I don't have kids. Like I don't have a family of my own, but my sister had a baby this year, you know, not getting to see him and just, uh, just the family aspect. And again, the rest and recovery aspect. So there's a countdown and we love the players. Like I, I miss them. You know, I miss the players. Like they're my sons. (laughs) So like I miss them, but at the same time to take time for yourself and for your, for your personal life and your family is also really important so that you can show up with energy every day for nine months or whatever. So yeah, there's a bit of a countdown. And and, uh, I immediately, when the season was done, flew to see my sister in one city, my sister in another city, uh, my friends, you know, like I said, just doing some continuing education and some things for myself. So yeah, there's a countdown, you know, but then there's a countdown to get back too on the other end of that so of course family's a big thing for a lot of people and, and i know covid last year and it kind of st- you know of course it's still going into into 21 or now about to be 22 but you know the same question i ask everyone that comes on you look at 2020 you know put aside i get you know you have all kinds of political uproars and all kinds of other stuff that took place in 2020 and i'm not obviously going to discuss that by any means but just from your yeah. personal standpoint um what was 2020 like for you? Um, of course, you know, you're already on a baseball was fanless for the you know, majority of it. Um, the postseason was in, in, in pretty much, I call them pod, but cities where everyone all flew in one city. What was 2020 like, of course, and everything being, sh- you know, regardless of a shutdown or restrictions on times, you know, obviously I'm sure visitation to your family might've been limited, but what was 2020 to you personally and, and how could you handle it? And, all that good fun stuff that we always dealt with. Um, so I want to preface this by saying, I understand that not every, you know, right. everyone experienced COVID or 2020 because really this, you know, it's, it is still going on, you know, not to be totally clear, it's still going on. I don't want to uh, take away from that, but we're, we're able to manage it a lot better. You know, like the vaccines are out. We just know what we're dealing with, you know, the hospitals are better able to take care of people. 
the numbers are going down. It's becoming more of a, you know, thing that is very manageable. So I don't want to take away from anyone out there who's had a horrible experience or has lost loved ones. I lost a high school coach of mine to COVID. Um, so I, you know, I can, I want to empathize with everyone out there. Um, so, but having said that, uh, 2020 was one of the best years of my life. And I want to, it's, it's a perspective, you know, and I, I say all the time, like, this is the best year of my life because it's the next year, you know, and 2022 is going to be the best year of my life. And uh, when, when COVID hit, I just, I feel like I barely skipped a beat and I just, you know, it was tough. It was my first spring training as a hitting coach. It was my eighth spring training overall. So it wasn't, but it was special, you know, first spring training of a hitting coach and we got sent home and um, it was tough to have my first year as a hitting coach in COVID uh, when I probably needed the most direction and, and most guidance from my mentor and my boss and got the least because we were at home. Um, so that was a little tough, but having said that, I just, you know, you know what, Michael, I had come off of a year and a half of not having a salary. I went back to school. I moved to Europe. I, um, 2018, fall of 2018, I moved to Amsterdam with three suitcases. I sold my car. I, I got rid of everything that I owned. I moved to Amsterdam and went without a salary for 18 months. I slept on three mattresses that I had pulled off of a curb in Amsterdam in my apartment. My apartment had half heat and the other half didn't. I was there for a year and then I moved to Seattle, Washington, where I did my research at driveline baseball that while I was there, I didn't have heat in my apartment. I would eat my dinner in front of a heating uh, thing every single night. Um, it was a rough time. You know, I was, I was, by the time that I got my first paycheck from the Yankees, I had maxed out my credit card and I had like a hundred dollars in my bank account. So when 2020 happened and COVID happened, I'm giving, I'm giving some context for listeners here. Um, I put all my chips on the table and gave up everything to get hired by the Yankees as a hitting coach. Okay. And that's stressful. Anyone who's been through that tough of a time, you know, in their life understands like that is stressful. I put my head down. I did it. But when COVID hit and they sent us home, I took that opportunity to rest, you know, and I, it's like, I just said with you, I don't mess around with rest, right? Like I took that opportunity. I traveled across the country. I was working for my computer doing stuff for the Yankees, but like, traveled across the country. I hiked in Utah. I spent time with my family. I spent time with my friends. I recovered from putting myself through a year and a half of absolute mental hell. You know, um, I just, I just spent a lot of time to be with myself, to be with my friends, my family, uh, ended up, uh, late in COVID the Yankees furloughed us, which is public knowledge. I'm not telling anything that anyone they don't know. Um, Yankees furloughed us and, same thing. They called to furlough us. And I was like, look, your business, you know, we all, I understand this. I understand what business is like. And I took that time to move to Australia and coach in the Australian baseball league. So I lived in Sydney, Australia during COVID for three months. And, um, that was phenomenal. It was an incredible experience. I ended up linking up with Manny Ramirez and being able to work with him and, and get to know him very well. And I just look back on that experience. And again, I don't want to be disrespectful to anyone who, who didn't have that experience. Um, but I just look at everything as an opportunity. That's it. And so when people say, oh, that must have been really hard for you, because I took the perspective of this is an opportunity for something, I don't know what, I don't know what it is. But for me, it ended up being an opportunity to mentally recover from a hell of a time that I had getting hired, you know, by the Yankees, right. uh, to see family, to see friends, to explore the country, to move to Australia to do those things. And 2020 was the best year of my life at the time. And 2021 was the best year of my life this year, you know, and 2022 will be the best year of my life next year. So um, that was a long way of saying my perspective on those things is just understand that the, sometimes the most difficult things in your life become the most, um, most special times and the times that create the most opportunity. So that's what, that's what COVID was for me. And I hope uh, even if, you had a hell of a time in 2020 that, that at least that story gives you some perspective on things um, to, you know, just to take a different, different look at it. So that's what I did. That's, that's an amazing story. I mean, from practically nothing to going all in and to lead me to the next question is to people out there, to the listeners out there, <clears throat> not so much regardless, obviously working with the New York Yankees, it might be, I don't know, whatever the dream job is or what they want to pursue career-wise or anything that, you know, what 
advice would you tell him or her saying you know, they came to you? Hey, Rachel, I really want to pursue this certain career. However, I don't know if it's meant for me or, I, you know, I can't make it or what, what have you. What advice would you give to someone out there that's listening to that maybe wants to make that career change? Not so much with the base, you know, baseball, but maybe it's uh, a beauty or if it's um, cosmetics or whatever the case may be, radio, TV, it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be up there. It can just be whatever they want to, they're pursuing. What kind of advice would you tell them to go all in and don't look back? You know, um, I get asked this question all the time and it's changed over the years, but I would say like, whatever you are afraid of, do it. So if you, if there is a nagging feeling and we all know that voice in our head, if there's a nagging feeling that, that, oh, I would really like to do that, but you know, financially that scares me or, well, I don't, you know, I've never been, I've never been there before. or I've never done that before. I, I can tell you, I just got the chills thinking about it, but it's like the amount of times that I've had that feeling and then just done it and leaned into it and taken the leap and, and gone to somewhere I don't know about or done something I don't do. It will change your life, you know, to do the difficult thing, whether you actually make it or not, whether you actually reach your goal or you don't just the journey of doing something difficult, different, you know, out of the norm, something that's never done before, just that journey alone will change your life. You know, and and I just look back at I'm 34 now. And I would say like, there's a fork in the road, you know, when you're young, especially, but even when you get older, you know, I went back to school at age 30 and I did all that to become a hitting coach for the Yankees. And it's like, there's always a fork in the road where you can choose the easy way, the convenient way, the most, um, the most uh, normal way, right? The, the way that everybody takes, or you can take that bumpy road that you got to get out of your car and chop down trees to get through the road. And you can take that bumpy road that, that hasn't been forged before. And the more, you, the more you're able to make the decision to take the road less traveled, the better your life will be in every way you could possibly imagine. And financially as well, because people don't want to take that financial risk. And I can promise you that taking a, taking a step back will, for the sake of your career or for your life, will always catapult you forward in the future, even though it feels painful in the moment. And again, I'm speaking from experience of throwing all my chips on the table a couple times in my life where I got down to being completely broke, where it's, it's paid off tenfold financially, you know, so people get afraid to take these risks. And in my opinion, the only risk is not taking one, you know, and sitting back and taking the comfort, comfortable way. And I just think that there's the way that you change as a person when you, when you get to take those risks is incredible. It's really, it's hard to describe unless you've done it. And to know that you can take that risk and come out on the other side makes you really confident in yourself. So take the hard road is my, is my advice at the moment. Um, not just for the take the hard road, be disciplined and mentally tough, but in the way that it changes you as a person and changes your perspective and your ability to do more difficult things, you know, and you, you become less scared and more confident as you go along. That's that's some good stuff right there. And, and even speaks to my own personal, you know, personal life and and all that good stuff. And hopefully I'm sure it's going to go out there as well to all the listeners going back um, to Amsterdam, you know, practically living on the streets, if you will, type of thing. What was going through your mind, um, literally night in and night out, of of what you were trying to pursue, um, et cetera? Were you continuously telling yourself it's going to work out, it's going to work out? Or what was going through your mind during that tough time in Amsterdam? I um, I have two posters on my wall that I wrote while I was in Amsterdam because I got there and I wasn't living on the streets. To be clear, I was uh, I was living in basically like a dorm kind of situation. Um, and going into that experience, I had my savings and I knew my savings was going to be gone. And I knew that I was going to be maxing out a credit card. And I, I knew what was coming going into that experience. I knew that I was going to have to really put my head down. And one of the, the posters that I wrote down, which has now traveled with me to like five cities all over the world, including Australia, that I just continue to post on my wall. It's over there on the wall right now. Um, one of them says be a GM. And so I just keep that end goal in mind of like, why am I doing this? You know, I would be in Amsterdam riding my bike to school to my neuroscience class, which is horrible. <laughs> you know, I was riding my bike in and because every, everyone rides bikes in Amsterdam. I don't know if the listeners would know that, but Amsterdam is a huge bike city. So in January, it's like I'm riding my bike in 35 degree weather and pouring rain 
in my rain suit to my neuroscience class and you're just like, what am I doing with my life? Like, how did I get here? Why am I doing this? So I, I just had to keep in mind my end goal and that's to be a general manager and to really make positive change in professional baseball and also to use professional baseball as a vehicle to make positive change in the world. So I had that up there. And then also I have a quote from Buckminster Fuller that just reads, you know, what is my job on this planet? What is it that I know something about that needs doing that if I don't do it, it won't get done. That's a quote from Buckminster Fuller. I'm paraphrasing. And it's just like, I had to remember what my purpose was. And also just to know, like, I know who I am. I know where I've been. And I know that there's no other better person to do this job at the time. It was to be hired as a hitting coach. And I knew that there were no women doing that. And, you know, I've been in baseball for seven years and I had, I had the pedigree and I knew that I could really carry that burden, um, probably better than just about any woman out there. And so I knew that it was my job. It was like, it's very simple. I have to do this. There's really not an option. And so, um, that was what was going through my mind. It's just really sticking to my purpose and understanding my, my bigger purpose when I'm riding a bike to go learn neuroscience and, and from a teacher who speaks German and has a thick German accent, it's just like this, it was, it was wild, you know, so I had to keep reminding myself and I had those two posters, those two things that I wrote down right next to my refrigerator. So I would see them every morning. I think it's just doubling down on your purpose. And when things get difficult, it's easy to quit if you don't know why you're doing what you're doing, you know? Man, that's, that's good stuff. And, you know, I think oftentimes and not, I think we like to give up um, when times are even tougher because it's, you know, like, and like you said, you know, we have a purpose of it, but we're trying, you know, you continue to get a grind, so to speak. And, I think it's so easy to give up because it's the easy way out. I mean, it's it's the quickest way to, to avoid whatever's going to, you know, that's ahead of us because obviously we don't know what's ahead of us. And as they always say, you know, deer in the headlights look, we kind of get scared and like go back in our comfort zone. I think that's where a lot of us kind of miss those opportunities because we get in our comfort zone and, you know, here's a little box or triangle, whatever circle, whatever people like to prefer and, you know, and, practically i want to do this but i don't want to leave where i'm at now but in order to leave where you're at now you have to obviously pursue or, or get out of your comfort zone if you will and go all in who has been the biggest or i know there's a lot of them i'm sure out there parents siblings who has been your big inspiration and your biggest fan throughout literally your journey from Amsterdam all the way, or even prior to Amsterdam, literally throughout your entire yeah. life. I mean, yeah, definitely my my parents and my my sisters are always like my biggest fans because they really know everything I've been through, which was which is more than more than anyone that I know, honestly. Just from the from day one, um, you know, my parents. Well, I'm from Nebraska, and my parents are very practical people. So when I was first getting into the game experiencing discrimination and I was working three jobs and, you know, really some tough times. Uh, they were kind of like, are you sure you want to do this? So at, at the time I really couldn't talk to them too much because I was like, I can't, I got to put my head down and not listen to anyone who's not <laughs> on board with this. Uh, but at the end of the day, they were just, they were just worried about me because they were, I was telling them that I was being, you know, organizations were telling me, Hey, you know, we can't hire you because you're a woman. If you can imagine that, that was in 2012, 13, which isn't that long ago. Right. So, and my parents were like, um, maybe you just want to work in women's sports, honey. Like, maybe, you know, <laughs> so they were just being, they're being supportive, but they were also very practical and were worried about me. So they've been there since day one. And they've always, my parents still send me articles about following your dreams and all this stuff. So they're great. My sisters are great. They always bring the humor and, and kind of pull me up if something is going down. So they're always wonderful. As far as professional um, goes, I would say for sure, Brent Strom, he's the current, or was the current, I guess, uh, pitching coach for the Houston Astros who just retired or is going to retire here. Um, but day one, I mean, literal day one of baseball when there were there were no women around anywhere. You know, 2012, I think I was one of maybe three in all of baseball women working, you know, with the players. Like there were no nutritionists, no mental skills coaches, and, and there was me as a strength coach, one physical therapist for the Dodgers, maybe one athletic trainer. So Brent Strom was there day one. He was the pitching coordinator for the Cardinals and he has been supportive since the moment I stepped on the scene when, even when he didn't have to be, you know, it wasn't popular to hire women back then. And he was just phenomenal. And every year he's still sending me articles to read and He's just this incredible mentor, um, in pitching and life and career. And he's, he's, 
absolutely been one of my day one mentors. Um, and then I would say, you know, Jeff Albert, who's a hitting coach for the uh, Cardinals. He was with the Cardinals previously when I was there and Astros, and now he's back with the Cardinals. Same thing, you know, day one, 2012, he was there and he really supported me. And then he actually helped me get a job with the Astros, um, was there for three years. And then even now we still talk often about now it's more, we talk more about hitting, you know, honestly, but he's always been a mentor in my career. And then uh, lastly, I want to, I want to mention Dylan Lawson, who's my current boss with the Yankees, who really, I wouldn't be a hitting coach without him uh, in many ways, you know, so him being my mentor and helping me learn about hitting from the X's and O's side and, and the current, how we're, people are talking about hitting, but also of course, like he's the one who took the leap to hire a woman and all the credit goes to him for that, you know, him and, and Kevin Reese, the farm director for the Yankees and just the Yankees organization in general. But, but Dylan is really the guy, you know, he's the, he's the one behind hire and I wouldn't be here without him in, in many ways. So, but there's, there's too many to mention, honestly, of the supporters and the mentors that I have. Understandable. I'm, and I'm sure uh, whether they're listening or not, I'm sure that they know that uh, you're a part of your success, that they're, that they are a part of your success story and uh, where you want to go in your journey. Um, of course, <clears throat> the final kind of finish out a few questions. You see a lot of this on Twitter. I know, even though it doesn't really affect me <clears throat> so much, but I'll scroll through and, and, um, you see if oftentimes guys are, are portraying that women shouldn't work in sports and blah, 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 blah. I think, you know, and literally I had a conversation with uh, Molly, who's a big Cleveland Brown fan and, and her and her boyfriend, we all just literally just, you know, messing each other and, you know, here, what can we do? Cause she's real big on, and rightfully so on women can do anything as much as men can, which is rightfully so we can see that, you know, time and time again, they can coach, they can play, they can do in your aspect hitting coach. I mean, they can do it all when you get, and I'm sure I don't know how active you are on social media, but of course you're going to have those little wonderful trolls, if you will, that likes to tweet out derogatory things, negativity things, long story short of the questions, how do you handle negativity when it's, thrown at your way uh you know i try to have a sense of humor about it in some ways because they don't know me you yeah. know and and again if, if i take it from the viewpoint of like it's my job to change people's minds it's not my job to get upset about people's opinions it's my job to change their mind and some people say well that's not your job you know and it's like okay fine i, I don't i don't know what other people think about this i don't know what other women think about this but it's my job to change their minds and it's a, it's a privilege it's an opportunity that i get to be the person who surprises people you know and who people say well women shouldn't be in sports and then they meet me and they're like oh okay damn you know she, <laughs> you know what she's doing a good job and she knows what she's talking about and then i, I change their mind i i think that's such a privilege and an honor and i just i try to have a sense of humor it's, it's funny to me because if somebody says well oh she can't do this or that i'm like <laughs> like Little do you know, I've already been doing it for 10 years. That's that's one of the things that I would say is like some of the Twitter conversation when I was hired by the Yankees is mm -hmm. funny because I've been in the game for 10 years. Yes, as a strength coach, like this is my 10th year. Yes, part of that was as, as a strength coach. But to, to be honest with you, being a strength coach is harder because guys actually want to hit. You know, they don't want to run and lift weights. They want to come in the cages. So it was even harder to get buy-in and and have them buy into really doing the things that they had to do when I was a strength coach. Now it's like, they're easy. They want to come in and hit all the time. So I think it was funny for me to hear the commentary, but I just look at it and go, you know, it's just funny to me. It's just like, I got it. I recently, and I would all share this with you so you can put it out there if you want, but it's like someone said the, the Yankees are looking for a new hitting coach. That's public knowledge. Um, and someone said, Oh, uh, you know, Rachel Volkovic, and then somebody responded to it and said, oh, that's what the organization needs, a politically cor correct hire. And I responded and said, well, actually, I'm politically incorrect. So that would yeah. that would that would work at all. You know, I, I just I, and it's funny, like it's funny to me because I want to respond and I want people to go, oh, OK. You know, it's funny that she, you know, she'll snap back and like and with a funny, sarcastic response right. where it's like, if you knew me, I'm actually really politically incorrect and I probably have a bigger sailor's mouth than most of the players. Um, so, so it's like, they wouldn't know. I just think it's, I think it's funny. They, they don't know me, so I can't take it personally. It's like these right. random people on the internet that literally have spent zero time around me and whatever they're saying, again, it's just like the longer I'm around, the more I get to prove, you know, them wrong. And that more I get to show what women can do. And, you know, I just, 
I just t try to take a light perspective about it. I'm not going to say it never bothers me, but it's pretty rare that something actually gets under my skin like that. I like that chip on your shoulder. Have what we always call, you know, here, at least here in Oklahoma City, of course, Baker Mayfield, but that Baker Mayfield type attitude. I, I like that. And regardless, it's because it's like, you know, part of my friends, but you can piss me or you can fuck me all over if you want, but I ain't going to care. Like you said, it's you don't know me. And that's the attitude that, I'm going to carry some, I'm show you what I can get, uh, show you what I have and what I can do at the end of the day. I'm going to prove you guys wrong. And I, I like that attitude because I think, unfortunately, a lot of people and people can may look at, you know, as however I want to say it, but it's like, you still get that social media approval. Well, I want that 2.3 million likes or 2,422 likes. Well, why isn't my Instagram getting all these likes? I really don't. I don't do Instagram. I just don't get the concept of it besides taking pictures. But nonetheless, um, but no, it's just you got, I, I like that attitude because I think we live in a world we have to, and it's always the the social media, it's the phones. It's the, I'm going to tweet at this person because they suck at the job. Well, you don't, like you said, you don't know me. I mean, all you do is follow an old guy in mom basement, twiddling on your, uh, on your Twitter or Facebook or whatever case may be. But uh no, I like that attitude. I like that attitude. Lastly, and I'll end it on this, uh, women in sports uh, is a huge movement. I think it's, uh, I think the bigger is still yet to come. But when you talk to, if a woman on here is listening, I'm sure that there probably is, um, and they, they want to get their foot in the door, whether it's anything that does it sports, it doesn't matter what organization or field or what have you. What advice would you specifically give women um, that want to work in sports but feels like at the end of the day, it's, well, I'm going to get harassed because I'm a woman working in a, in a man's job, if you will. Okay, we'll see. We were doing so good there. Um, oh, good. <laughs> the, yeah, the question you asked me was, uh, what advice would I give to women? And this has changed, actually, the past couple of years because it's, uh, when I was first getting in, as I mentioned, I, I explained, I experienced blatant discrimination where they were actually telling me, which, which shows you how much has changed because they were actually saying, oh yeah, sorry, you know, we don't accept women in these positions, right. which is hilarious because that's illegal, you know, but they felt so comfortable saying that it was just so commonplace. So now we're in a time where I'm getting reached out to, I mean, right now jobs are open for baseball and it's like, people are reaching out, hey, hey, do you know any women that want to get into baseball? They're clamoring to hire women, which presents actually an opposite issue because we're hiring a lot of women um, and minorities, this has been around since the dawn of time. It's not new, right? right? Now we're hiring a bunch of people, marginalized communities who are not qualified. And of course, women are jumping at these jobs, you know, but it's, it's tough because I want women out there to know like, hey, get a solid foundation and be qualified for this position before you step into it. So you can be successful in the long term. And I don't mean successful like you hung around. I mean, successful like you can really make an impact in the game. And in order to do that, my advice to you is uh, to women out there, if you're looking to get into coaching specifically, start in the college realm, start, start in the high school college realm and like get your feet wet in coaching. Because even though you might know the X's and the O's of this or that, like if you haven't been a coach, that's a skill within itself. Mm -hmm. So I think before you jump into a role in professional baseball, and this is very specific, but it's really a mindset again of just like get your, get your feet wet elsewhere and have a diversity of experiences so you can be prepared to be successful in the long term, you know, when, once you enter a bigger job where, I mean, some women are getting called on. I mean, I, I mentor, I have a men formal mentorship that I do every single off season and I'm mentoring a woman who's a sophomore in college and she's getting calls from multiple teams wanting her to have a job. And I'm like, you haven't even graduated college. You know, that's how desperate teams are. And I, I use the word desperate intentionally to hire women right now, which causes an opposite problem where I did seven internships to get hired full-time in baseball. I don't think you have to do that. You know, no one has to do that. Okay. But I'm glad I did seven internships because I was so much more prepared when I got in to handle the bumps and the bruises and the, you know, the turnover. And just, I, I was so much more prepared when I entered because I had done seven internships and I'm so glad that my career was slowed down and I did have to do all those extra experiences because I was more prepared. Mm -hmm. If I had gotten hired after my first internship, I would have been either, I would have quit. I would have failed. I would have, you know, it's just, it's, you're just so much more prepared. So I think slow your career down. And that's so hard to do when you have somebody knocking you down your door to hire you full-time and uh, it's a professional organization. 
Um, it's very hard to do, but I would say slow yourself down and make sure that you're getting those quality experiences when you're young or when you're starting out to make sure that you can be successful in the long term. That's my that's my advice. And then kind of the second part of that answer is to answer your question about getting harassed or getting, you know, twi- whatever. It's not just doesn't always come in the form of blatant sexual harassment. It's it's the demeaning. It's the um, it's the not having a place to change. It's the not having women's clothing to wear. It's things that make you feel comfortable or uncomfortable. Um, and I would just say, again, taking the perspective of like, have a little bit of empathy. You know, sometimes it's, I usually give the example of like, you know, if you're a mom and you've got three sons, let's say, and you're living in a house with your husband and you walk into the bathroom and the toilet seats up, do you automatically go, oh, oh my God, my sons, they hate me. They don't want me here. I don't feel comfortable. I don't, I won't want to live here anymore. No, you don't. You just put the damn seat down. You go about your business and you remind them to put the seat down. You know, it's like, just, just, it's not about hating you. It's just, they, they're, they don't think, you know, they don't, they don't think about things because they're thinking about what men need. And they're thinking about a, what they need as a man, but also we're thinking we're, we're, we work with men. We work with all men. We work with all male players. So their focus is on what these people need. And so I just, try to have a little bit of empathy. I get more as I go on. I didn't have a lot when I first started, you know, but I have a little bit of empathy. I have a little bit of a, a sense of humor about it. And I get, again, I think about it as an opportunity to change people's minds. I don't walk in there and go, well, I'm here. So you guys better deal with it. I walk in there and go, okay, I'm different. I'm the change. So if you, if your iPhone updates overnight, people get upset. You know, if you walk into the grocery store and the grocery store is rearranged, you're upset. So we all have our own adjustment period to change. And just so happens that I'm the change. So I have to understand that everyone's going to have their own reaction to me. And it's my opportunity to make sure that they have a good experience with a woman in a male dominated field. And if you don't want that responsibility, then don't sign your line, your name on the dotted line. Do not walk in there and expect that everyone to roll out the red carpet, expect that you're going to have the opportunity to change their minds. I like that. And, uh, you know, Last, I'm just going to say is keep being, keep doing you and keep being you. I think, you know, also, like you said, you're the change. I think we're just, it's this beginning of something bigger down the road. Who knows? It might be 22, could be in 2023. You never know. But uh, I applaud you, Rachel, for what you're doing. And of course, uh, as always, congrats to, uh, to being a part of the Yankee organization. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time, Mike. I appreciate you as well. Ladies and gentlemen, Rachel Bakovec, the uh, hitting coach within the New York Yankee organization. Rachel, thank you so much for taking your time out of your busy schedule. Enjoy the rest of your offseason because I know that uh, spring training is just uh, just around, around the corner. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Take care and be safe out there.